let's talk about what we want to talk about. Sure. I mean, we've got your lawsuit. It's the first of its kind. We want to talk about not only the state of that suit, but what the philosophical issues are and what we want to do about it as part of the larger predations of the government. And are you guys, you two are working on that together? Yes, yeah. And then you're also involved in the fishing industry? Yeah, so the the case I just filed, it, the appeal just got filed Monday, and it looks like a lot of people are putting in amicus briefs next Monday. But it's about um, Noah has told all these charter boat fishermen Fish, Noah, who's no, Noah? The, oh, the National, National Oceanic. Oh, yes, yeah, part of the Commerce uh, Department. Yes, yeah, exactly. That. So yeah. it's always sued Commerce, NOAA, and, and National Marine Fisheries. They have to have a GPS that broadcasts their position to the government at all times, whether they're fishing or not. Oh, you're kidding. So, yeah, so they have to. So these, these are small boats with six people. They, they use them for pleasure cruise. Sometimes they take people on sightseeing. They're not using their fishing license and the hook, if you will, put these GPS on there is because they have uh, a license to take people out fishing in the Gulf of Mexico. So um, it has tremendous Fourth Amendment uh, Oh, good. We'll issues talk about that. Right. Okay. All right, here we go. The Bill Walton Show, May 4th. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists, and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics, and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome to the Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton. A friend of mine, uh, a very successful CEO of a publicly traded company, confidently told me that he saw no evidence of government censoring people. Uh, he's a good guy, even if his politics are a bit misguided. Uh, he misses what's really going on. Government doesn't have to censor people directly. It can get others to do its bidding. And what we want to talk about today is, a, is an egregious example of that, where the uh, U.S. Surgeon General and the Department of Health and Human Services have uh, directed, that's a great word, directed social media platforms, including Twitter, to censor alleged misinformation about COVID-19. And this was, I think, almost over a year ago, and much of the misinformation that was put out there has since proven or since been shown to be true. So I'm thrilled to have back as my guest, returning guest, Janine Eunice, who is suing in a first-of-a-kind lawsuit. Uh, you're suing the Health and Human Services Agency. and. Uh, as a former public defender, after seeing public governments or after seeing uh, governments throughout the nation violent, violate human rights, you decided to stop defending a few people and instead defending all of us. So welcome. And uh, Janine is with the uh, is the New Civil Liberties Alliance, as is my other guest, uh, a terrific guy, John Vecchioni, who's senior litigation counsel. Uh, he represents clients against the administrative state, and we want to talk today not only about what's happening with Twitter, but also some very interesting things going on if you happen to own a charter fishing boat. Uh, he's, he was president and CEO of the Action Institute, and he focuses on strategic litigation in the federal district and appellate courts, including the Supreme Court of the United States. John? Thank you. It's good to be Welcome. here. Welcome. Great to have you here. Great to have you back. And of course, I'm a huge fan of the new Civil Liberties Alliance, founded by Phil Hamburger. And... Uh, Great Americans all. So, Jenny, tell me, tell us. Let's start with you. Tell us about your lawsuit. And you two are working on it together, as yeah, I understand. Yeah, okay. Just got back from Ohio. Yep. 
So <laughs> I, this, I'm not a subject matter expert in this, so yeah. feel free to, to ask each other and amplify uh, what we're going to be uh, learning. So the Surgeon General and other members of the Biden administration have been uh, telling social media companies that they should censor misinformation about COVID. Also other things, but this lawsuit focuses on COVID. Um, and what they mean by misinformation is obviously, you know, anything that departs from the government's message at the moment. Um, so th what we're arguing is that this is essentially a First Amendment violation as well as a Fourth Amendment violation for reasons I'll get into later. And also that the Surgeon General doesn't have the statutory authority to uh, implement this sort of initiative. Um, so a lot of people think that, you know, Twitter and Facebook are private companies and they can do whatever they want. But if the government is using private companies to accomplish um, its goals, then that turns it into state action. And so our clients are three people who have been um, censored by Twitter. One of them had his account. He entirely lost his account. He had about 112,000 followers and a very um, influential account. The other two, actually, sorry, one of them just lost his account permanently the other day. After suing. Uh, after suing. Um, the other two, when we filed the lawsuit, the other two had just had their tweet, uh, had their account suspended temporarily, which is sort of a warning, but the, uh, one lost his. Now, now is Twitter also named in the suit? Twitter is not, uh, named in the suit. No. Now, and, and what, well, we, suing the federal government, I mean, they have like 43,000 lawyers and yeah. I, we've got two of us here. Yeah. I'm not one of them. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's massive. I mean, how do you go, how do you, how do you, it's audacious. How do you go at this? Well, John, I, I you, think you, the, the first thing is um, we, the theory of the case is, is that why would these companies be taking uh, their accounts down? Let's take Twitter, for example, right? Their whole idea is to get followers and to get eyeballs and to get more people on their, on their platform. So to knock out popular people, and Judy can correct me if I'm wrong, because I will admit freely I am not on Twitter. <laughs> she is. But you look and, at it all the, the time. Thing is, I do look at it all the time. <laughs> and but, the handle but, is uh, Lefty Lockdown. Lefty lockdown. <laughs> and so the, the thing is, 100,000 is a big, it's a big account, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And so why, why are they closing these down? And what did these people say? Did these people say anything? Um, uh, did, they, did they put up pornography? Did they, did they do things that will drive people off the system, you know, by attacking other people and, you know, using, using bad language or anything like that. They didn't do any of those things. They disagreed with what the government was saying. They, they don't even point out that it's not even a factual inaccuracy. If you say that the vaccines have side effects and you state what those side effects are, you could be banned. Now, why would Twitter do that? Does Twitter have any internal reason for doing that? They don't have an internal reason for doing that. They have that because the government has been on them incessantly for over a year saying, get this off your platforms. So that is, that is what's going on. And, they, and how do we know that? We, we have a FOIA request in that hasn't been answered yet. But we know that because we turn on the news and the Surgeon General's saying it. We turn on the news and he tweets, he tweets it out, right? Yeah, he said- He's I on mean, his official Twitter account saying, get this stuff off. And that these companies will be held accountable. So he's using his Twitter account to tell Twitter to take yeah. these people off? Yes. And he used his, so he has a personal Twitter account and an official one, and he used the official one 
to tweet something. He wrote a long thread, um, and it said something like, these companies will be held accountable if they don't start censoring this misinformation or stopping That's the spread of this Haven't they threatened antitrust? Uh, or is it just... Yeah. Just, or is it just Psaki has done that. that so yeah. the, the president's spokesperson has done that. Right. And and you see it, and other other governmental actors have. I don't think the Surgeon General has said anything about it. I don't know if he knows what antitrust is. But <laughs> he does. So, but the, the, the fact is, so the whole government's doing it. We've sued the folks... Because what the other thing they did is they asked for all the information about the misinformers, right? So the people who've disagreed with the government, who've entered private contracts, private agreements with Twitter, so they can get a Twitter account, you put in your information, and uh, maybe you privately, the, the way Twitter works, as I understand it, is you, you have your public tweet tweets that everyone can see, but you can direct message people that no one can see. It's supposed to be like your email or a private thing. Um, all that private stuff, he's asked for what the misformers are doing and what they, what what's going on. And for all we know, I think Facebook says they're going to do it. Facebook right? said they would comply. So that was one reason we asked for an emergency hearing. So this is not just Twitter. This is also it's Facebook. all of them. Actually, so it happened that you know we had plaintiffs who use Twitter, and so that sort of exemplifies the issue. But it's really about all of it. And at this request for information that the Surgeon General put in at the beginning of March. So he demanded that the social media companies hand over the beginning of March uh, 2020, 2020, this Just, year. Okay. Yeah. So okay. he said they had to hand it over by May 2nd. And this includes e-commerce platforms, instant messaging systems, social media platforms, everything. So, you know, you're talking about Telegram, um, Amazon, you leave reviews on Amazon, Um this really reaches into the homes of all Americans. It's not it's not just about people using Twitter. And 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 that is the, the thing here. And so he said, oh, I'm just looking for this information. But some of it's private information that you didn't expect to be turned over to the government so they could look and call you a misinformer. And I was tr I, what, what really bothers me about this is you can be thrown off, not because you're misinforming, not because you're saying lies, but because you're telling truths that they don't want people to know. So there's no drug ever created. There's no medicine ever created that doesn't have a side effect. And in fact, it's the law that you have to put it on your, on the side of whatever medicine it is. These things could happen to you. These things have been reported. So that's the law that the, the pharmaceutical companies have to put on what the side effects are on their drugs. But if somebody tells you what the side effects are that the vaccine people have to put on their label, you could be a misinformer. It's incredible because they just don't want that information out there. So people, because they, they obviously want people to get vaccinated, fine, I'm fine with that, but you, you have to, you don't, you got to tell the truth. And if you're not going to tell the truth, don't call the people who are telling the truth liars. That's what's going on. Now, how did your three plaintiffs find you? New Civil Liberties, um, I always get this wrong, New Civil Liberties Alliance. I think we'd need to make the name more simpler. NCLA. <laughs> NCLA. NCLA, I get that confused yeah, with, the, with the athletic League. Anyway. <laughs> well, I, I actually knew them from Twitter because I have a Twitter account. So, so they could, found you. Now, yeah. I, I, we already covered this in other shows, but explain again New Civil Liberties Alliance and what you do. Because I think there are other people watching this or listening to this that probably have interesting complaints about the government, and I think they should know about you. So, so, so uh, Phil Hamburger is a Columbia law professor. And he's been on, and I understand he's on, he was just down, I was just talking to him yesterday, and he had uh, the view, he's, he, he'd been a tax lawyer, but he became a professor, he started looking at how the administrative agencies work. And what he found, and wrote a book about, uh, he's written a number of books, but the, 
the one that I refer to all the time is, is administrative law lawful? Meaning when you're caught in an administrative agency's processes or when the agencies do something, particularly independent agencies, you don't get a jury, all right? So what happened to the jury, right? Um, you, you, you're due process, you're not in front of a life tenured judge, right? You, you oftentimes do not have uh, cross-examination uh, abilities. So the administrative agencies have a whole set of rules that Very few them. people understand that the administrative law state right and, and that that how yeah. you've really got very little recourse very yeah. very very little and and the other thing is we always say that i always say this I've, I've said it for years but i say it more now when i'm with ncla and that is the process is the punishment because one of the things the administrative state can do is say oh you're in violation you say i'm not in violation well you can't run to the federal court and say i want an injunction against this because the the statutes or the law have often given the administrative agency the right to try you in their own courts, and then the only place you can go, let's say you get it, they're called administrative law judge. You get an administrative law judge who rules your way. He says, Mr. Vecchioni, you're right. We were wrong. Has that ever happened? Anyway. I, I, excuse me. It happened once in the FTC, 25 years. Okay. The FTC is the one. All right. Anyway, continue. I've so been... the thing is, so he says you're, you're right. It gets appealed to the agency heads. The heads of the agencies get to decide. And they reverse him. At the FTC, for 25 years, the ALJ has never been upheld when he found out you were right. So it got repealed or rejected by one of the parties in the case. Yeah, one of their own, one of their own judges said, yeah. you're right. It gets appealed by the government. The FTC appeals it and says, oh, our guy who works for us who is our ALJ, has looked at the facts, found against us. But you know what? We have, we have all these uh, commissioners. We'll go and ask them, who are the same people, by the way, who had to okay the case being brought. <laughs> so, and they, they then say, oh, our ALJ, I don't know. He just looked at all the facts and all the law and found against us, even though he works here. But we didn't like that outcome. We're going to get rid of it. And how many federal agencies have an administrative law? Judge, well, I, SEC, FTC, the one people might really uh, go into a lot are the Social Security Administration. There's okay. many ALJs for that. It's, sli it's slightly different, but but um, I am not sure how many have ALJs. Anyone who's any adjudicative process, if they're allowed to, like the de Department of Energy doesn't have any. You know, it's 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 places. It, it's the agencies that are given control over. Um, some some industry like SEC. Like well, I can't wait for the energy department to hear this and say, hey, I need one of those one. too. Because so, exactly, <laughs> I want to. So, but that, so the process isn't over. So now that yeah. they've reversed you, now you have to go to the appellate court. Yeah. So you can sometimes get to either district court or an appellate court where you start all over again. And the appellate court has to give deference to all the facts. They have to, they have to agree However, the agency found facts. The independent judiciary has to say, "Oh, that's the, how the facts are done." So they've got—they've just got a loaded. Everything's loaded in their favor when they go to the federal court, and of course, it takes years to do all this. Yeah. So the process is the, the punishment. process is the yeah. punishment. Uh, this is the Bill Walton Show, and I'm here with Janine Yunus and John Vecchioni with the uh, New Civil Liberties Alliance, and we're learning about the uh, the scary world of administrative law. <laughs> Uh, but we're also talking about Twitter and the scary world of scary world of uh, government censorship and how they're not doing it directly, but they're using the social media companies to do it for them. Janine, so where is the case now? You had a hearing, and 
it's it's uh, is it ongoing? I mean, how do we uh, how do we follow this? Yeah, it's ongoing. So we had a hearing in Columbus. One of the plaintiffs lives there, so we filed there. Uh, Mark Chengizi. Um, that was a hearing on the preliminary injunction, and both uh, Chengizi and Coatson testified and testified about the effect that the censorship is having on them. So one of our arguments, which is supported by case law, is that you know you don't necessarily have have to show that um, these people were censored because of what the government says. We don't have to establish causation to that extent. If the plaintiffs um, show that they are self-censoring because they're afraid of the government, um, because of what the government has said, then that's enough. So they testified about that. Um, the government has also filed a motion to dismiss, and I'm not sure if the judge will decide both the preliminary injunction and the motion to dismiss at the same time. Um, no, are they defended by attorneys at... Uh DOJ. HHS or a DOJ. DOJ, they're defended yeah. by the DOJ. Yeah, yeah. So it's so we got Merrick Garland's vote. Uh, that's correct, and, and it's line, it's it's a line line attorneys from DOJ uh, in this area. They came out and uh, uh, defended. They want to dismiss. They say, hey, you can't prove anything that the government's done, and we're just asking questions here. Um, but you, when you you, if you ask questions, why don't they just send a letter? This is the thing that drives me nuts. Who's asking the what, questions? The, you mean right, the Surgeon General, right, right? Right. Give me this information. Why didn't he just send a letter? Say, send me this, and not. Why did he go on the news? Why did he tweet it out that he's doing this? And why did he then threaten accountability? To the extent that certain agencies are allowed to get information, I don't even think the Surgeon General is allowed to ask for. There's nothing in his remit to go around asking social media for questions. Um, but even if you are allowed to ask questions, there's usually processes. The SEC, when they want to ask you a question, they have to do certain things beforehand, you know? You, you can't just threaten and ask and ask for information when you're the government. It is inherently coercive. So your, your plaintiffs, how are they feeling right now? What's uh, we... we uh... Well, <laughs> they're just waiting. Um, okay. they're, they, they're still optimistic. They... Uh... Daniel Coatson is obviously upset because he lost his Twitter account permanently a few days ago for tweeting uh, about the side effects of the vaccines, actually. How pervasive is this? I mean, you've got it's, three plaintiffs, but my impression, I, well, I've had a couple of these shows taken off YouTube, thanks guys, uh, including one you were on. Yeah. I think we talked about ivermectin. Yeah. <laughs> we're talking about it again. So, you're a certified misinformer. <laughs> I haven't been called that by Twitter yet. <laughs> but, but you have to, given the position you're all in in terms of defending people against these kind of things by government, you have to have thousands of people coming to you with similar issues. Yeah, well, a lot of it, it, this is very pervasive. So I actually had noticed as a Twitter user, I had noticed an uptick in suspensions. There, People were occasionally getting uh, suspended temporarily for saying things about COVID um, for about a year that, that you know, were, was not government approved, but it was very rare and their accounts weren't permanently suspended. Uh, and I, then I noticed that the um, after the Surgeon General and others in the Biden administration started this campaign in the spring of 2021, I noticed a, a massive increase in suspensions um, and, you know, among people I knew on Twitter and followed. And, and that was the testimony on Friday. All yeah. these people were active Twitter users and they and they talked about their own observations of how this happened and when it happened and how it is timed directly with government intervention. Yeah. But I th well, you, you look at uh, Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter, which hasn't happened. There's a lot of things that could happen before he closes the deal. But if it does happen, 
the people at Twitter are losing their minds. They can't stand the idea that they're not going to be in a position to determine what's allowed to be on and it isn't. So this is not just the government directing people to do it. It's the Twitter's culture that's so receptive to it. Or am I missing something? I, although I don't know that that's... They, Twitter, didn't, they, they didn't do so it before the change before. in administration. Yeah. So here's the thing. You could talk okay. about Invervectin. You could talk about the side effects. Hydroxychloroquine. So, <laughs> so this, <laughs> this is a January uh, 2021 change. Yeah. 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 So why did that happen? The, the people who work at Twitter, they can believe whatever they want, but their incentives as a company are not to do this. Now, they may have an incentive. We, we ask about people who call us. One of the beauties uh, of what our clients write is, I haven't found one thing that isn't true or arguably or, or a disputed issue that you want to discuss like scientists, right? One of them is a very good scientist. So the facts are unknown. So you discuss the hypotheticals on one and the other. Aren't you supposed to do that? Describe the background of your three plaintiffs. There are a couple of them yeah. that are quite, uh, quite uh, impressive. Yeah, Mark Changizi is a cognitive theoretical scientist, and so he studies all sorts of things like uh, why we see in color, um, why our eyes are in the front of our face, uh, and also mass hysteria and how that happens. So mass he had, formation well, hysteria? <laughs> he didn't use that term, but sort of okay, how... Social, right. well, he calls it social contagion, actually. So he had started <clears throat> tweeting that in March of 2020, that the... COVID hysteria was clear, like mass, you know, uh, you psychosis. Know, so, so mass psychosis. And he was um, talking about it from a scientific perspective. And he, he also has a deep insight into what, it, you know, knowledge, what it means to know something, um, which he discussed at the hearing as well. And then Daniel Coatson is a, wasn't a... So he explores how we know what we know. Yeah. Yes. He's written six it's books just, on yeah. it on various topics, but one of them's that. Really, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. He has so he had very interesting things to say. Um, and he was suspended a bunch of times for, you know, tweeting things like the flu is more dangerous to kids than COVID. Um, masks are useless and harmful you know, to our social uh, interactions. Um, very reasonable things. And then uh, Daniel Coatson was an attorney and is now stay-at-home father in Denver. And he's married to Jennifer Say, who is the... Um, uh, to uh, Levi? Yeah, who was the president at Levi and was uh, had to leave because she was tweeting about open schools. Mm-hmm. She wanted to open them up. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then... Of course, the, given what they're teaching, I'm ambivalent about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> San Francisco, do you have concerns? <laughs> well, I have concerns in Fairfax County, Virginia. <laughs> anyway. And then the third one is Michael Singer. He's... Uh, He's also an attorney, and he wrote a book about, I forgot exactly, but something about snake oil. He has, is a firm believer that the CCP has uh, driven a lot of our COVID policies. Um, so, Chinese Communist Party. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I just assumed they, that was commonly known. <laughs> <laughs> he's done a deep dive into it, and yeah. Uh, he, and well, he we was, do know the Chinese Communist Party has deep, 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 ties into a lot of stuff that's going on in the United States. And, and social media. And social and, and, media. And social media, yeah. But I, I do think, though, that here, because of the timeline and because of the observable facts mm -hmm. that this, and because of their, their incentives for each of them to make money, every one of these organizations, they don't want to be throwing people off who aren't driving people out of the, of the, of the biosphere. Uh, of the platform, right? And none of these people were. And, and so the only explanation really, um, like you've, you've, hypo, 
you had a hypothetical that, well, the people who work at Twitter, they just like doing this. That, they always like doing it, but they didn't start doing it until the government started pushing on it and said it was okay and we want you to do this. And in fact, we're going to punish you if you don't do it. So do you have any more uh, coercion trails except beyond the uh, Twitters, uh, the tweets that they put out encouraging the social media companies? There's any phone calls, any... Uh, emails we would like that and we actually so that's part of your foia well yeah foia and we actually made a discovery request before the preliminary injunction hearing uh we asked for any direct communications between the government and twitter and the government you know they made all sorts of complaints about how they didn't have enough time to do this uh it was really a very narrow request we were just saying you know if if there are emails between the surgeon general and twitter we want those we also tried to subpoena the surgeon general um and they they definitely were against him sitting but if the case goes forward i I certainly think he'll have to be deposed because this is not the case. You know, the government always says, you just want to depose our guys. So I, that you're I, I very much look forward to you TV. deposing <laughs> right? the Surgeon General. And, but, but they usually say, oh, you can't get the, the top guy because it's really somebody else down below. But here, yeah. the guy tweeted. It's him. It's his words. It's not like some flunky somewhere. It's him doing this in person. So uh, I, I look forward to that. So on what basis uh, would the suit be thrown out? They're arguing that we can't prove causation, and so... Okay, uh, so that's sort of what I'm asking. Do yeah. they have? Do you have a direct uh, hammer over their head? Yeah, I mean, not at the moment. Uh, we'd like to... <clears throat> I mean, I think there's enough, I guess you would call it circumstantial evidence to draw the conclusion and, that this is... And there's case law. There's yes. case yes. law about how this happened, like the bookstore case. Yes, tell yeah. Them. Why don't you go yeah. into that? I yeah. mean, there's, there are cases saying that, you know, if the government is using third parties to chill speech, you don't have to show direct causation. Um so, for instance, there What's was the bookstore. There's a it's called Bantam Books versus Sullivan from the 1960s, and they're um, Bantam Books. Yeah, okay. although this, that was not so much about using third parties, but there uh, a commission in Rhode Island was going around and threatening booksellers uh, who are selling pornography and saying, "Well, you know, these are your legal rights. This is what could happen to you." Um, so, it's veiled threats, and the court said, uh, "I think the direct quote is." We should look through forms to substance, and you know this is obviously government action. Um, there's another case out of New York that's sort of similar, where a uh, uh, the plaintiff had put up commissioned billboards that were anti-gay uh, and you know c- contained language that was offensive, in my opinion. The uh, borough president of Staten Island called the billboard. They company. were anti-gay. Yeah, very. I should I should <laughs> stipulate that you were a full-blown liberal when you got <laughs> yeah. into this. Yeah. Well, I don't and remain so on many issues, which yeah, is pretty I cool. <laughs> I do on on many social issues. Um, yeah. I certainly don't agree with what the billboard said, but you know, I do think that people have a right to say what they want to say. So the Staten Island Borough president um, called the billboard company and basically said, you know, we use you too. You like to make money from us, don't you? You should think about taking down those billboards. And the uh, the billboard company did. And then mm. the billboard company actually said, we did this on our own. We just decided it was a bad idea. They violated our, ter- our, our uh, internal, you know, whatever rules. Um, but the court said that th- that was actually on a motion to dismiss. The court was saying that was enough that a jury could find um, that that was a First Amendment violation. So there are these sorts of cases that I think are very similar and show that this really is a First Amendment violation. This is the Bill Walton Show. I'm here with John Vecchioni and, and Jenny Nunes, and we're talking about... Um 
really everything. What are, what are <laughs> we talking about? About really the, gov- the way the governments have, have used their powers to coerce people to do their bidding, not directly but indirectly, and why that's as big a problem as them doing it directly. The uh, can we can we get in, can we engage in speculation here? I know you guys are both careful lawyers, but it seems like this whole pandemic has become the lockdowns has become so political left versus right. I mean, it really lines up red blue in terms of this theory, speculation. I mean, well, I, I'm not so sure that's certainly not true of our clients, right? Our clients are, are not conservatives as far as I can tell. And, and that's good to know. That's why I want to. And so I think it more has to do, what do you call it? The reality based community, (laughs) the ability, the ability The ability to actually look at numbers and assess risk does not seem to be evenly distributed throughout the population. And, uh, and I want to do a show sometime on enumeracy. Yeah. Do you know how many people really can't add and subtract, let alone do statistics? I mean, yeah. these are people, and that most of them are working for uh, Congress now. And 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 I I want to point out, like, where did where did one of our clients move? They left San Francisco and went to Colorado. And who's the governor of Colorado? It's Polis. Polis was a big shutdown guy early on, but he he had had it by like a year, year and a half in. He's a very uh, liberal guy. He's one of the guys who drove the the uh, blue shift to Colorado. But he said, no, we're back in school. No more lockdowns. Wear a mask if you want to. Um, Almost as early as DeSantis did. And I think it's because he was a business guy who looked at metrics. I, I have to think. And, and probably the political culture of Colorado. Well, that's my background. And you look at metrics and they matter. I love this term, reality-based community. Yeah, and I think we that... May, we may start a movement here. <laughs> and I think, I think that that seems to be, the, you know, everyone says that we talk to about DeSantis. It isn't that he's conservative. It's that he was very interested in the numbers and percentages of what happened under different uh, scenarios. Well, you know, we had Phil Kirpin on here last week, and he did this study with Casey at the University of Chicago, Casey, anyway, and, and Steve Moore, and it really took the 50 states and it showed how did states fare with massive lockdown versus states that stayed open. And by just unbelievably provable numbers, the states that stayed open, education did well, economy did well, health, life expectancy did well, States that locked down, just the opposite. And, and We've got the data. And yeah. to your point, on that study, as I recall as I recall that study, of the Democrat-run states, Colorado easily did the best. Almost, you know, I think better than Ohio, better than Republicans. Yes. This is why it's not quite a left-right thing. It seems to be whether or not who's ever making the decisions is assessing risk in such a way that outcomes matter to them. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, let's start. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's sort I like, of split. I like that. It split along party lines on early, but I think yeah. there was, and then there were people like me who just from the beginning uh, really disagreed with the whole approach. Did you have a trigger point? Did you have a moment where you said, I have had enough? <laughs> I, I mean, I just, from the start, I was like, this doesn't make sense. You can't stop a virus. Um, it's going to spread and you're going to cause massive harms if we disrupt society in this way. So I was, yeah, I, I never agreed with it. And and, and I, I, I say to the client, I was saying, I gave everyone a pass for whatever they thought in the first three months. I was like, okay, this is new. Anything you want to do for the first three bunches yeah, is fine. Yeah, yeah I think that's but, where I was. But, uh, but they say, we knew immediately. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a backslider, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
You're a careful lawyer. That's a, <laughs> and that's a good thing in the job you have. Uh, so what else should we focus on, on on the Twitter case? Because I also want to talk about what we're, you're oh, doing sure. with the fishing boat uh, owners. I mean, I think we've covered the main uh, points, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, these people were censored. Why don't you for... just say what we're asking for? What yeah, what's, we're what's asking the remedy well, here? What do we want to have Yeah, happen? so we're asking for a few things. We're asking um, for the government to basically, the court to say that the government can't do this, that this constitutes constitutional law violations, that uh, the Surgeon General can't make this request for information um, and get the information about the so-called misinformers. Now, that deadline was May 2nd, which is passed, uh, which is one reason, you know, we're a little surprised not to have heard from the court. Um, yeah, it was two days ago. Yeah. 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 Um, so what this wouldn't do is necessarily reinstate our clients' accounts because we're not, since we're not suing Twitter, we can't demand that Twitter reinstate the accounts. We're saying the government has to stay out of it. Stay, okay. Twitter now, can. if you win and you get the, and this is in case law, is how much uh, precedent does this set for all other government uh, I, encouragements? I think it will be huge because this this sort of nudging, rather than outward passing a law, this nudging, I think is going to become more and more common in the regulatory state. Yeah. And so I think it will pull back on the nudging and it will also provide courage to those who don't want to do it. In, in the business world, people get an idea of what they have to do, what are the best practices, if you will. And the best practices are right now, I think they think, doing whatever the government tells us to do so we don't get in trouble. But if we have a ruling like this, they'll know they don't have to and they don't get in trouble. Was it Cass Sunstein who wrote the book Nudge. on Nudge? Yep. So the way I, look, I didn't read it because my view is coercion is coercion, whether you call it a nudge or yeah. a shove. Yeah, I, I recommend the book. I always recommend the book because I don't agree with it. Okay. But Sunstein has, like, one of his, his things is opt-in and opt-out. And I think it's an interesting concept of whether or not the law requires you to opt-in or opt-out. And, and this is the same in business. Explain that. So what it means is, let's say you have a 401k program at your, at your business, right? And do you, do you automatically enroll people in the 401k plan, or do they have to opt-in? More people enroll and don't opt out if you put 3% of their salary in. They all are happy to do that. But if you have them opt in, much fewer will do it. And then they complain later that they don't have any savings. So that is that is that coercion or not? And it's an interesting, it's an interesting argument, I think. Okay. Well, I've got a new book to read. <laughs> Uh, let's talk a bit about the, the work you're doing with the, 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 the boat owners. Yes, I, I can talk about this. So I have, I have two cases, and I'll talk about Mexican Gulf first because it's right now um, top of mind. I just filed the uh, appeal um, on Monday, and I think we're going to get a lot of friend-of-the-court briefs on that. Maybe even the state of Louisiana is going to come in and because this is really outrageous. Um, the, in the Gulf of NOAA, the, the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration, all of you people who read Dirk Pitt novels, he's, it's all NOAA propaganda because he's the great hero of, uh, of this, uh, raised Titanic or, or any okay. of these type of books. He has a whole series. You're adding more to my list. Exactly. <laughs> so, but anyway, so, so, so Noah is always the hero of this. But in my stories, they're not the hero. Uh, so, so 
Um, National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration. Okay. So they collect a lot of data, and their data collection is good. And they also, they are the ones who decide how many fish you can take out of the oceans. And the way I explain it all the time is if you ever saw Errol Flynn and Olivia de Havilland in Robin Hood, and uh, what's Robin Hood always getting in trouble for? He's always getting in trouble for taking the king's deer. He's always shooting the king's deer. And the idea is that whoever's the sovereign owns all the deer and all the wild animals and things like this. Well, the same with fisheries. The, the, the fisheries within the United States are, the fish are in the control of the federal government. And so they do get to make regulations about that. And there's the tragedy of the commons. Wait, wait, wait. Did I just hear the fish? Belong the to the fish that swim in the sea are in control of federal <laughs> in government. Our, in federal waters. Okay, in federal in waters. In federal okay. waters, yes. All right. So, um, so, uh, that, so in any event, so they, they get to say what the rules are. And this, is, this has been a longstanding thing, and we don't have a, a problem with that. But here's what's going on. Our fisheries are divided into eight different groupings. There's, you know, if, if you watch Most Dangerous Catch, you see the northern, that's the northern Pacific. Uh, and, and then there's the Gulf of Mexico. And it ends at the tip of Florida, and then you have another one. But in the Gulf of Mexico, charter boat captains who don't fish themselves have to get a reef fish permit by the rift and the pelagic uh, fish permit, fish that move around. Um, in any event, they um, to get these permits, they then take people out. I don't understand what you just said. Oh, okay. in other words, they're fish that migrate. <laughs> okay, migrating so, fish. So okay. anyway, so but in any event, so the the these are the two types of permits they get, and then yeah. they take you out. If you go down to Florida or down to Texas or Louisiana, and you go and you don't have a boat yourself, they take you out and you go get snapper or uh, uh, swordfish, whatever you get, um, and they take you out fishing, and. They've done this for a long time, and they have an app where they have to report when they leave port, um, generally where they're going, and then how many fish they took, their, their passengers, how many fish did they take? So we don't complain about them telling the government how many fish they took. But here's what NOAA decided to do, and then Commerce, Department of Commerce runs them. They said, you have to put, you're, do, you're giving us all this information. We already know where you're going back to port. We, you have to put a GPS, they call it a VMS, a vehicle monitoring system. It's a GPS for everyone out there who speaks non-government. Um, so the GPS device has to be on your boat at all times. It has to broadcast at least hourly, but we prefer continuously, so that we know exactly where you are at all times. And you can't turn it off. And even when you're docked at port and you go across to to fill up your gas, your gas on your boat, you have to call Noah and tell him you're leaving port and tell him what you're doing. And we're also going to track you while you're doing it. And the kicker of all this, I don't think you can do this to a regulated industry, even while they're out fishing. I don't think they could be followed around. They're not breaking any laws. They got a permit. That's what it means. But these are small boats. This is like, uh, this is smaller than Gilligan and the Skipper's boats, right? They take them out. To, they take their wives out to dinner. They Sometimes they run sightseeing tours down out of Florida and things like this. What in God's name does Noah have any ability to follow them around all the time? So, uh, and there's the Fifth Amendment uh, argument as well, because they've got to put it on their boat. It's not compensated. So the, the government is taking a part of their boat and taking their information. So how does this work? You're Noah. Where's Noah's building? Oh, it's right down. It's in D.C. 
Is it Commerce Department? No, it's just a little outside it. I've forgotten exactly where. So but you're, yes, you're but no, Commerce, uh, you know where Commerce is. Sure, yes. yeah, it's the, it's the biggest building. Right. Uh, you're a bureaucrat. Yep. You work in a NOAA building. You're responsible for the GPS program. You sort of decide it'd be a good idea to know where everybody is all the time. And do you have to go through any procedures? Yes, you I mean, do. is you this do. a faceless bureaucrat or is this? No, uh, well, it's a little different because there's one thing that they do have is the National Marine Fisheries Service. Yeah, has guys out in the real world, and they have they have um, conferences with fishermen and people who work on the water, and they get their input. But they're Noah, they're Noah's guys. They're National Marine Fishery guys, right? And so the commercial fishers, the people, the, the, the folks who go out with huge nets and can take out 50, 100,000 pounds of fish, tons of fish maybe, um, and can like clear the sea, they have been tracked for many years. They sued and then they settled something like 20 years ago. But that is a whole different animal. So, and, but they're on the fishery councils too. And what do they care, you know? So what's the, what, so we don't want them to be tracked when they're not work, when they're not on the job. Is that the case? I don't want them tracked at all. Okay. Because it's not necessary. It's not necessary to their regulatory purpose. Right. Right. They're they're getting their fish counts. They're getting where these guys caught the fish, and they know where they're coming back to. If they want to be waiting on the dock and check everything, they can. Who if they want to send the coast guard out and check the boat, they now, can. Now, is this an administrative law judge at your? Seat? No. Uh, we we brought this. You we did bring this in uh, district court in New Orleans. Uh, Eastern District of Louisiana, as we call New Orleans. <laughs> and um, the judge uh, issued, we, we got the administrative record, we made uh, arguments, uh, cross motions for summary judgment. And what she said is, is that um, charter boat fishing is a, is a closely regulated industry. That was her determination. And they have less expectation of privacy than everybody else. <laughs> And so because they have no expectation of privacy, you don't have to get a warrant and you can follow them around. And I, um, I respect the judge very much. She didn't make this up out of her head. And this is the real scandal. The, the Supreme Court has a, a, a theory that closely regulated, long regulated, and, and tightly regulated uh, industries do have less expectations of privacy. And I'll, I'll give you an example, which I think... All, I always have this example, which is what's the most closely regulated industry you can think of where the government has the most right to regulate something? Federal say, prison. I, that's, but now it's an industry, <laughs> but it did. I'd say nuclear power. They invented nuclear power. All the guys down at Almagadro are all government workers. <laughs> they have all the patents. It didn't come. So nuclear power, and it's dangerous. So there you go. Right. So that's one thing. So the, the, the government got this theory on stuff like that, stuff that is, has been regulated a long time since its inception and which the government has a big... But now, this theory gets out there and the district courts are going around. A California district court said that babysitting is closely regulated <laughs> industry. Okay, that's where I wanted to go with this. Why? I don't own a boat. I'd like to own a boat, but I don't own a boat. So why do we care? I mean, is this... Is this yeah, what babysitters care. I no, mean, what else No, is, they have to... You have to care for this reason, and this is where it's going. Well, let's say you do have a boat. These guys, all they do is go fishing the same place everyone else goes fishing, but they take passengers, and they have a, a reef fish permit, right? That's all they do. Now, you have some regulation from that, but not violation of your Fourth and your Fifth Amendment rights 
just because you're in a regulated industry. And here's the thing. Let's say you have a hunting license. Does this apply to the states? You have a hunting license. I need to know that you're not out in the woods where you could shoot a bear, right? So can I track you at all times just because you have a hunting license? Can I track you if you are just a fisherman and I, I want to go out on my boat? I, 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 I you know, gear, gas up the Evinrude and I go out. Can they track me at all times because I'm out on the ocean? Well, and their ability to do that is only growing. It's only growing. And this, can, you, can they track you through an Apple Watch? This, yes, that's the well, thing. Well, they could probably... My, Threaten Apple to turn over Kenny, all the Kenny behind the camera that we're talking about is Apple exactly. Watch. Of course, it told him whether he was awake or not, but it didn't tell him what day it was. <laughs> there was actually just an article I haven't had a chance to read closely about how the CDC was apparently tracking millions of Americans' phones to see if they were complying with lockdown orders. See, there we go. Yeah. I mean, that's, tell me that's, the that's CCP what, that's, hasn't influenced that. that you know, because I've, I've got a lot of friends, and I'm one of them, who's sort of really worried about social credit systems in China being applied here. And it looks like this is just sort of one of those little things they put in there and then we're doing it here, it's okay here, so we do more here. And the next thing you know, it's so, babysitters are wearing ankle bracelets. Here's how insidious it is. I mean, so, are we tracking babysitters? Why, exactly. Think of this. So, so we regulate an industry. Then we say it's closely regulated. Then we say you have no privacy rights there. That is, and, and what you just said about technology is a big part of our brief and a big Part yeah, of where let's we're, dig into that, because that's the one that applies to so many. And we're really going there is, is that certain theories of how the Constitution works were made when it took the government a lot of resources to go do something. And the, the one is the Coast Guard gets to any boat coming into our waters. The Coast Guard, if it has just reasonable suspicion, very low standard, can go on the boat and take a look, make sure you're not you know, bringing in uh, cocaine or whatever it is, or check if you have... Uh, fish that you shouldn't have. So the Coast Guard, but the Coast Guard has to send a boat, right? So it can't do this to everybody. It can't watch them at all times. So that's why the courts have often said it's, and they don't know where the boat's coming from. The cases say, wait a minute, the Coast Guard guards the coast. They don't know where these boats are coming from. All my charter boat captains, they know where they're coming from because they just called when they left to tell them what their port of call was and where they were going and when they were coming back. So all these theories that allow a Coast Guard to do this shouldn't apply to these guys. But it's just been, take a bit, go a little further. Take a bit, go Are a little further. Are you going to win your case? God willing. And okay. uh, I hope we so, do. So what sort of resources do you all have to do this? I mean, we've got, I, 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 I joked earlier about the army of lawyers, thousands of them that each of these agencies has. I mean, how do you go up against this? I think... Well, one of the things... Which I'm all in favor of. I want to try to get I will, more... I, I will tell you, well, obviously we have donors at NCLA, but we yeah. have, what, what would we say, 12 lawyers now? Yeah. About, about 12. 12 lawyers. And we pick our cases carefully, and you have to, you do have to consider what the government can do to do to you. I will tell you this. The FTC, if you, if you are in an FTC um, procedure, in federal court, you only get seven depositions. All right? So that's seven depositions... That's a cost because you have to record it and you have to go do it and it's a cost. But in the FTC, they can have unlimited depositions. So if they have your company, they can depose everybody and your lawyers have to go to all those depositions, 100, 200. Mm -hmm. It's unreal. So, so paying for those lawyers bankrupts you. Exactly. Exactly. And it also, yeah. if a yeah. nonprofit to do that takes a... Yeah, they, can, they have, can impose duties on you that you just can't afford yeah. to... It's uh, certainly a nonprofit. So that's the way they could. would. Yeah, yeah, no question. So yeah, we think, we think about that when we bring cases, how much... I want to 
I want to circle back to one thing. We're, we're about out of time, but I, there was one point I wanted to make or wanted you to make was that when people talk about getting banned on Facebook or Twitter or any one of these social media platforms, it's not an absolute thing. What happens is they, they fade you out. And there was a, one of the charts in your presentation where he, he noted his, his impressions and they grew and they grew and grew and then all of a sudden they came down and they were turning the knob on his uh, ability to get his speech out. How does that work? Yeah, so I, that has to do with the algorithm. And uh, Mark Cengizi had noticed, he actually had uh, followers alerted him that uh, his tweets weren't coming up for them, um, when they type his name, and you know, you start to type a name, especially someone who has a large following, and it sort of pops up, Mark, C-H, it should, but you have to type the whole thing out, and it still doesn't come you up. You have to and get actually, all the way to the I and Easy yeah. before it would come up. Okay, before and it, it, it autofills. Yeah, so the, the is not a common name. The yeah. autofill device is the thing that they... Uh, yeah, and then the other thing is when you actually look at his profile, it says, warning, sensitive content, so you have to click to see it, which you don't have to do for very many people. So this is called a shadow ban, effectively. So it's really um, throttling his reach. Uh, I actually have a partial shadow ban myself. My replies go into show more replies, which um, is because I have like over 80,000 followers and I'm not an anonymous account. That's very strange. You know, this is usually like anonymous accounts that don't have many followers go into the show more Could replies. Could be bots. Yeah, yeah. Well, we got a lot of work to do. <laughs> yeah. We've got a lot, and, and to be continued, I'm really happy to meet you today and see you two are, are working together. Now, do you all collaborate on your on your cases? Yeah, just yeah. Share so, ideas so and... we always have two. We're, we're I, I hate to say this, my boys are always watching Star Wars. There's always two people on most of our cases, um, and so uh, we work with different people. But on these on these CDC cases, we've worked a number of times because we did we've done a lot of CDC stuff because they've been doing illegal stuff for two years now. Well, what you're doing is really one of my, passion's the wrong word, but it, we, we've got to do something about the predations of the state, and you guys are working on the front lines. This has been the Bill Walton Show, and I've been here with uh, Janine Yunus and John Vecchioni with the New Civil, Civil Liberties Alliance, and I hope we've helped you understand what's going on with Twitter and, and with fishing boats and with, uh, with all uh, and babysitters. I think we'll cover that <laughs> in our next show. Uh, anyway, as you as you know, you can follow us on all the major platforms, uh, YouTube, Rumble, Spotify, uh, the list goes on. It's on our, for now. our website for now, for the <laughs> moment. Thank you. Anyway, thanks for joining, and we'll be back with more of the same. And as always, what's true, what's right, and what's next. On the Fourth, on the fourth Amendment, I mean... You cannot be followed around just because you're regular. I, mean, I gotta, I gotta. Did they think. then do that to drivers? I mean, yeah. justify. And, and the Supreme Court says you can't do that to drivers. Yeah, this yeah, is the yeah. thing that's driving me nuts. The carpenter, a carpenter right? case, Carpenter and Jones. The police would would go and put a um, tracker on your vehicle, and they said that's a Fifth Amendment violation because it's your property. You don't get to occupy even one little dime of space. Right. And then also, um, also it's an it's a trespass. You know, so. And it's a search. And it's a search. So on land, you can't do that. Why can't they do it at sea just because you're regulated? Now, the, that was not a regulation. Well, case. because they're already heavy. They're used to it. Now, it's funny. <laughs> I kept thinking, do you ever see it to have and have not? Yeah. Humphrey Bogart and Lauren McCall on their fishing boat. I yes. kept thinking about all those regs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and how Humphrey Bogart, of course, that was Savannah. What do you want? More. Or Key West. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? 
click the subscribe button or head over to thebillwaltonshow.com to choose from over 100 episodes. You can also learn more about our guest on our Interesting People page. And send us your comments. We read everyone and your thoughts help us guide the show. If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, we'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining.